as I recall, the title of the Dharma talk is "What What is Unsearchable." Is that what I gave you? Is it "What is Unsearchable"? It's kind of a question. So, what seems to be unsearchable is the labyrinth of causes and conditions that are behind any given situation. Something as simple as these clackers coming together. The wood came from trees. These hands came from somewhere. The dependent origination was the teaching of the Buddha. Everything is dependently arisen. There is no separate thing anywhere that is functioning with autonomy. That is its own self, its own svabhava. Same thing with other. Self and other uh, is a misunderstanding of what you're seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. Misunderstanding. The process of being a living being involves being careful of what you're doing, careful of where you step, careful of anything that's chasing you with teeth. So what we tend to do is we tend to overdo that out of a desire to get what we want and keep away what we don't want. Get what we want, passion. Keep away what we don't want, aggression. And as we know, there's all kinds of forms of that. And to shut down on anything that is just too confusing, we can't handle it. Lots of other ways of talking about it. So what is unsearchable is the labyrinth of uncountable numbers of so-called items, atoms, uh, molecules, tree branches, branching streams flowing through the darkness, as it is said in the sutra. So what we do is we end up settling for what? We'll blame that. Well, it's because of this that that happened. And it's not that there isn't some uh, low level of uh, relative cause and effect happening. Of course there is. Of course there's cause and effect. But what we tend to do is we tend to clamp down and get our reference points from blaming this or crediting that. But you can't fundamentally see the exact source of anything because it is, to use the this particular metaphor, it's contaminated by everything else. It looks like there's just this caused that and that caused that, and of course this caused that, and this happened, and the conditions over here were such to create this kind of a opening. It's like saying, like the, the, the shoplifter saying, well, you shouldn't have a store. You're causing me to shoplift. Or you shouldn't have pockets, said the pickpocket. Sure, it's a simple idea, but it's, it's that kind of thing that we jump to. We want to find something else that's a cause of our particular issue, problem, dilemma, whatever it may be. So what can we know? What, what, since we're um, 
flooded with causes and conditions all the time, and right and wrong, and cause and and effect, and praise and blame, and just this labyrinth of situations of everything coming and going. What you can know, what is available to you as a human being, is you can see the fundamental nature of this. And the fundamental nature of it is it is not separate. I say it over and over again. And it doesn't mean that you there's some kind of conclusion about it. It might be other than a conclusion. There really isn't a conclusion. So it makes it even more difficult to understand what it is that is happening to us. So when I say, don't conclude, I'm not saying there isn't some kind of a relative conclusion happening or something that you would come to some kind of understanding of something. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't seal everything so nothing else happens. There's that situation and nothing else goes on. When that happens, this is called fixation. It's also called an opinion. When you take causes and conditions and because you don't like the open dimension, that consciousness is uh, not separate from. We want to contract into some kind of, uh, as my teacher uh, would say, some kind of cocoon, some kind of a hideout for the self-centeredness, which fundamentally knows that it's not real, that it is makeshift, it's made up, it's a fabrication uh, called, uh, traditionally called the five skandhas form, feeling, perception, concept, and consciousness. So when we, when we go to see that this caused that, it's not that we should stop doing that or block that out. It's just that it's a much bigger area than that. And to see that it's unsearchable, see that it's untraceable, is uh, beginning to see the incredible matrix of causes and conditions that, are, that, that, that we come out of. like trying to find what causes and conditions created you. How did you get these hands? How did you get to be uh, a living being? How did you get everything that, that is showing up for you? Un untraceable. You have a question? Yeah, I'm sorry. Just have an itch on the top of your head? Any questions? Yes. I was wondering in what way things are knowable if we can't see the causes and conditions. Mm -hmm. So the, the ultimate no, ultimate the ultimate ultimate knowability of something is to see that it that you're it's, you're not separate from what you are hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. That it's not something else that's happening. It's <coughs> always uh, not separate. More? Is it a, 
not based on characteristics then? The characteristics are there, but it's there's not a basis of characteristics. Characteristics are there, but they're the the the, the what, what is seen or what is witnessed or what is perceived is not separate from what is doing the perceiving. So the perceiver quality or the subjectivity of one's mind and what that subjectivity or that perceiver is perceiving is not separate from the perception itself, as you've heard me say and other teachings say also more. Is there a difference in quality of the type of knowing you're talking about and mundane knowledge? Uh... It's, sim- it's similar in its uh, certainty. So you know that rocks are hard. You know that water is wet. You know that fire burns. You know that this is not separate. And you might have to go through a long labyrinth of your own ideas, emotions, perceptions, <clears throat> concepts, hopes, and fears, and so on, and look at them without adding, subtracting, or dividing so that you... The consciousness itself, instead of being, again, the word contaminated by all of the hopes and fears and wishes and desires, uh, the consciousness gets contaminated by that, and then, and then it, uh, it tries to resolve itself by being somebody who can protect from the, uh, from the uh, unknown. Like, if you know this, then you ignore all that. But if you don't know anything, then you don't ignore anything. Ego does not want to hear that message because it doesn't get included as a separate uh, sovereign self who needs defending, who needs promoting. This is why, but this is why one's um, sense of being threatened is based on the assumption, the belief, the opinion and the underlying um, uh, fixation on somebody. If there's an emotion, or if there's fear, or if there's hope, or if there's any kind of emotion at all, there must be someone (coughs) that is imputed as feeling, or hoping, or seeing that, or smelling that, or tasting that. There's someone who's doing that. Whereas if there's just smelling, then then there's uh, uh, if there's just seeing, if there's just thinking, but there's no thinker. If there's just tasting, but there's no taster. If there's just feeling, but there's no identity. Then, then this is called liberation. And it might sound pretty fancy if you use the, some of the Buddhist terms, but the actual situation is uh, flat out ordinary. It's nothing special at all. It's just ordinary. And the way in which it's ordinary is it's just like sound. It's just like fire is hot, water is wet, the earth is hard. Very simple. Is the certainty without evidence? Yeah, there's no evidence. Is that what contrasts the mundane knowledge and the knowledge of not separate? Yeah, that would be true. You have evidence for... You know this is solid because you stop. You move something through the air and it stops, so you know it's solid. Just like if you know if you had water and you put your hand in the water, it's wet. Put your hand in the fire and it will burn you. Don't do it. 
other teachings, mundane knowledge? They begin that way. That's why they call them provisional teachings, passion, aggression, ignorance. So the same teachings that begin as provisional, do they become um, transcendent knowledge? It looks like there's a becoming, but actually the not, the one thing doesn't become something else. It's just what it is. It's just seen for what it is, which is not separate, rather than it's seen as something that needs to be tracked down and we need to find credit or we need to find blame. When we're working with mundane knowledge, does it have to start with some sort of presumption or some sort of a presumption of a starting point or solidity? Give me an example. Um, I'm thinking like if you have a teaching like the Four Noble Truths, uh, does there have to be a presumption of the causes and conditions? You can't know the causes and conditions out of which something arises, so in order to state something, do you have to assume the causes and conditions? How does it look to you? Seems like there's a lot of assuming going on. A whole lot. The thing about assumptions or preconceptions is we, we really don't know we're doing that. We don't want the basic misunderstanding, the basic um, mistaken identity is is hidden, even though we we can study it. And we can say, well, yeah, there's no solid self, there's no there's no solid being, and we can know that as concepts. But to actually realize that uh, is uh, might take more uh, awareness, more looking at the apparent solidity. Solidity. Yes. I was just thinking of another example being a teacher that. There's an assumption about who that is and where they're coming mm -hmm. from. Um, is it necessary? Is there another way to start? Or is it necessary that you start with that assumption? Well, we have 2,500 years of there being teachers and students, and it works in different ways. Sometimes, uh, in some traditions, that that's what you're asking about. Sometimes the teaching person is assumed or they're projected onto as being some kind of a almost divine kind of uh, person, like like has been done in, not only in, in our tradition but in theistic traditions also. That something is really special and other things are really not so special. Big contrast. Is that what you're asking about? And I'm wondering if there's another way to start, like. Could I begin to interact with you right from the beginning without assuming something about you? Might have to start with the provisional area of it. So there's, that's otherwise there's, the path can't begin unless there's some kind of a uh, the ground the the threefold logic that's often used is a uh, ground path and fruition. So the ground is confusion or difficulty or suffering or or life sucks. This is hard or I'm worried, or I'm depressed, or I, I don't know what to do with myself, or I have intense feelings, I don't know where they're coming from, I don't know how to handle them, I don't know how to shut them down, I can't shut them off, I can't find an off switch. Suffering, 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 I'm suffering, I'm acting in such a way that's causing the people I fundamentally care about to suffer. You know, I'm not saying anything new, we all have some version of that going on. And then we bump into a possibly bump into this kind of a teaching that everything is dependently arisen 
that there's no solid self in the skandhas, that there's no solid being, separate being anywhere, that everything is dependent on everything else for its apparent, including the thought patterns, for its apparent singularity. To begin to bump into that, if there is a teaching like that where you're born and you hear it, then, then you probably are going to run into someone who is teaching that or is point, trying to point that out. And one of the ways we point it out in our tradition is sit down and hold still and look at the confusion. Because if you're moving around, even a little bit, even walking meditation, too much movement. More? What about the movement of the eyes in meditation? Only if you're a mouse. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. <coughs> Ask me more about it. I won't be silly this time. Go ahead. When I'm meditating, sometimes when I'm particularly enthralled in a daydream, my eyes might be moving in different positions. Down What's the question? I'm wondering if the eyes should be held still. It should be what? If the eyes should be held still. What are you doing now? Well, when I start to daydream, they start to wander. And you're aware of that? Once I notice that I'm looking maybe way down at the ground. Or okay, but that's awareness. So it's not about doing it right. It's about being aware of anything that's moving. And insofar as you can, you hold very still, symmetrical. And you observe what shifts and you get you could say you get kind of better and better at it because you you notice how many when your eyes blink you you notice when your knee starts to slowly starts to ache possibly notice your diaphragm moving so the movement is not to be stopped other than the basic instruction is hold very still so we hold everything we can hold still without any warfare, and then we notice there's certain things that need to move. We need to breathe, we need to blink our eyes, and if we begin to daydream, then we probably need to, our posture starts to collapse. But that's also about awareness. That's part of the awareness. It's not about preventing that or stopping that or adding on to some commentary like, I must be losing my awareness. So that, that's extra. But just to observe that without without any imputation going on. More? So passion, aggression, not passion, aggression. Um, um, the other three. Ground path and fruition. Thank you. Ground path and fruition, threefold logic. So ground is suffering. The path is uh, awareness, awareness, awareness. Uh, as it's done here, is sit down, hold still, and emphasize the awareness by way of looking at what moves, because that way the awareness becomes empowered or prioritized rather than the things that arise in the awareness, like I like it, I don't like it, it's good, it's bad, it shouldn't be, it should be. And then the fruition is to, to see, understand, perceive uh, the truth. And the truth is, everything is dependently arisen. There is no solid being anywhere. 
that is separate from everything else, including uh, the rocks under the ocean. Chodo. <coughs> I think the phrase is brought up uh, confidence without evidence. And how is that different from faith? <clears throat> faith is something you're you're um, you're having. You have faith in something. You've looked at you've looked and you looked and, and there's areas that are not don't make any sense, but since you're you're already going down the path and you see there are trees hanging over and it looks like the path keeps going. It looks pretty dark, but you have faith uh, that you're, that you'll, as you go along, you'll understand what to do next. You have some kind of faith that when you get to that area that's really dark, it'll be more clear. You'll be able to see, oh, there's a sinkhole there or there's a log I need to step over using those kind of metaphors. So there's a faith that there's some going to be some kind of continuity and you'll be able to relate with the situation as it arises because you're so clear about the one you're in. Very clear. You're not adding anything down to anything. If you're really clear about the one you're in, then the faith arises as an, the apparent duration of the path shows up. And so uh, what, was the, what was the contrast there? confidence uh, the confidence that arises there is uh, is one sees that one is not separate from anything you actually you understand it you it's you have this understanding that you're not separate so there can't be anything else so, so it's it shows up uh, as a relative term confidence but fundamentally it's not even that it's just that there there's a uh, in the Tibetan traditions called the torch of certainty just awareness Junshu always lets me know when I'm kind of losing my entertainment value by yawning. Are you guys waving at me? Or? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, question from uh, Shoshi in Vicksburg. Yes. Michigan. As a teacher of the Dharma, you seem to have a great ability to point out things in the student that are painful to look at. Is this helpful for the student in their practice? So probably, since far as I am following it, it shows up in so many different ways, that's kind of a generalization because uh, sometimes I, I don't point out at all. And why? The person's not ready for that. They're not ready to have anybody point out things to them. Or the particular dynamic that person is working with, they need to see it. And uh, so Pointing out is interesting area. Uh, when I'm sitting up here, I'm basically endeavoring to point out to, as a uh, generalizing. Michael, you forget? Lots of between two questions, but what no, happens to suffering? between two answers. <laughs> <laughs> what happens to suffering uh, if the truth is seen? It may come or may go. It's probably going to hang around. There's just there's, there's no sufferer. 
So there's no being who is objecting to it, explaining it, blaming anything. There's just pain. Yes. Do thoughts still arise in that circumstance? Sure. They can. Probably it's not as many, but they do. Yes, go ahead. So if the thoughts start to become suspect or you realize that they're not necessarily your thoughts, then how... How is it that there's any kind of alleviation? Alleviation of what? Suffering. I didn't say it got alleviated. You did. Doesn't the third and the truth say that? Yeah. I gotta tell you something. <laughs> what would the Buddha say? You're gonna suffer forever. Too bad. <laughs> what happens is there's no there's no being who is uh, there's no person who is at the mercy of the suffering. There's just suffering. And it, it, if it can't find itself, then it can't get much duration. And also the suffering, since there's no separation, since you're not separate from anything, uh, anyone who's suffering, you feel it. You feel your own suffering. You see the suffering of others, and it's they're not two different things. They're not exactly the same because of the body-mind uh, complex that is separated in time and space, the apparent situation. But fundamentally, you're, you're always you're always resonating with everyone's suffering. It might not show up on your face. It might not be something you'll say. I mean, you wouldn't be like Bill Clinton and say, I feel your pain. Isn't he the one who said that? I feel your pain. And we believed him. And maybe, maybe he did. I don't know. He's kind of a nice fellow. He does. Kind of the same uh, idea of um, does being able to receive the suffering of others mean that you actually feel it in the same way that, that they are? Not necessarily. You're 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 not you're not really you you might be receiving it as a, on the on the path the bodhisattva path and the, what is called the ten bumis or the eleven bumis or whatever you want to count. So it might be some kind of something happening in that area but when the fundamental understanding is that you're not separate from anything so nothing to receive nothing happens it doesn't mean that things are tumbling around everywhere but the fundamental understanding is nothing nothing actually occurs that's why they call it an illusion that's why it's scary to ego who ego is identified with the body mind I'm just because we feel physical pain we feel through the six sense fields, and this kind of this kind of evidence that we're somebody and we need protecting. Yes, a personal uh, situation that comes up is around that question. It's something like Jutai. I see like people like tearing up, and there's other situations where other people seem to have a resonance with what's going on. And those things hardly ever show up for me. Like where I'll see it, and I just don't have an emotional connection to much of mm-hmm. anything going on. Um, That's because of your style. Am I shutting down on anything? Yeah. You didn't know that? Well, I'm pointing it out to you. Is there a point where I'll cry when other people cry? You're already doing it. (laughs) 
So when I say you're already doing it, I'm saying it's already it's already happening. You're just turning away from it. It's not a criticism. It's just it's not there's nothing to correct. Not particularly correcting you. Just continue to sit. Watch thought patterns arise and fall away. Uh, ideas. Uh, just watch what moves. Shane out in California asks, Yes. Is there a difference between noticing that you were daydreaming and noticing that you are daydreaming? Probably maybe a little bit of a gap there, but noticing that you were like remembering that you were daydreaming and then noticing your days, if that's what he's asking about. I'm not sure. The way the way you're talking about it, I, there's probably some kind of difference there, but not much. If causes and conditions are unsearchable, should we not search? Uh, it's just. Uh, it seems to be necessary to continue to search and look, and then at some point. We, we see that what that is, and then the, uh, the not searching happens because we see what it is. But we might have to look at it for a while. And the way I'm talking about it is to say that, that you can't, there's no, there's no progress there, because it's just, it's, it's like looking at, a, at a, trying to count the stars. It's like you can't say which, which star is actually the brightest, or which one is which one's the furthest away? Which one has the most planets around it? Where do the aliens live? You know, it's like being being nosy about something that is completely too much. How do we search without looking for a result? That image I used for the path, it's just, just just look at it. Just watch what's happening. Just watch what's moving. You don't have to look for something else. Just watch whatever is arising. If it's a, a negative thought or worry about something, don't do anything with it. Don't necessarily try to stop worrying. Just just watch that come up. If you don't do anything with it, it won't last. It gets its fuel out of being object, objected to or disagreed with or, or somehow validated by some propaganda around it or by shutting down, ignoring it, and distracting yourself into something else. Then it, then it tends to give it some kind of a uh, duration. Andrew? How can we see what is unsearchable without just believing it? Well, don't believe it. <laughs> Do as they say. Don't believe. <laughs> what if we don't believe it and still don't see it? So I think this is where, to, to be uh, more serious about, this is where the awareness uh, that is watching what moves, uh, co coming and going and coming and going, just rather than adding any commentary to it, that like lecturing yourself about impermanence or even lecturing yourself about unsearchable or doing it, just watch what comes and goes and comes and goes. 
without any math, no addition, no subtraction. And you might have to watch the addition, you might have to watch the judging, you might have to watch the shutting down for a long period of time before the whole thing starts to just settle down and where you don't do much with anything that's moving. More about that? Um, Shane just restated his question again. When you are sitting, is there a difference between noticing that you were daydreaming and noticing that you are daydreaming? And then he just sent, um, that is, is one with strong awareness still aware that they are daydreaming and not feel like they just woke up, kind of like you say when you were driving? So I think that area could be very subtle. You could, you could actually, um, at some point, all the boundaries in the mind just collapse and fall apart. So uh, the ego doesn't want to do that. It wants to, you know, keep its shit together. It wants to be somebody. It wants to be right. It wants to be not threatened. Uh, we're always kind of keeping everything contained and protecting ourselves with, as it says in the Heart Sutra, walls of the mind. And uh, the one who, the one who is a who is liberated to go into the ultimate situation, one who has realized that nothing is the realized dependent origination. What the Buddha taught, realize what the Buddha pointed out. Actually, realize that you've realized it yourself. There's no walls. You know, and I'm saying I'm not saying that a wall won't come up to, you know, that it will help you concentrate on. Uh, the, you're buying something at the store, and it's a. Uh, uh, $4.50, be able to create walls enough so that you can focus on counting out the money or, you know, to do something very mundane and, and simple. So you're able to do that, but that they come in just when necessary. It's just like you only you only think when it's necessary. Uh, I'm talking right now, but I'm not thinking. It's not a bragging point. I'm not saying some kind of a attained some kind of thing. I haven't attained anything. But there's no there's no use for those walls. If you're here, you're present, and this is you're just here, and there's nothing extra. So then there's no fabrication going on to protect anything. Nothing is threatened. Like walking up here and sitting down and realizing I had somebody else's dress on. It's kind of funny, but it's not particularly threatening, and I'm not too concerned with what you think about that. Or what anybody thinks about it. It's just—it's no different than being in a clown suit the rest of your life. And that's not any uh, disrespect to the Buddhist lineage at all. A follow-up question from Shoshi. If we are not separate from anything, why do we separate that which moves from the awareness that sees that which moves. Fundamentally, is there a difference between the two? The separation is, uh, comes out of fear. And you can, you can lecture yourself all day long and say that there's no difference. But it's seeing the difference. This is the way you see emptiness. You don't see emptiness by seeing that everything is empty. You see emptiness by seeing that everything is full. 
And it's like I was saying earlier, when you need the wall of the mind, if it's if you need it to make change, or if you need it to fill your gas tank, or or uh, find the right robe, <laughs> you know, then then it will show up so that you can do that. Uh, and not only that, but the, the walls are open all the time, so anything can come and go. And you can, uh, I sometimes have said in the past, you can dream, uh, to address Shane's question, you can actually dream when you're, uh, anytime. You can just, that, there's a whole uh, area of the mind that's totally open to dreaming. So you can dream when you're oh, wide awake, when you're sitting, standing, walking, lying down, eating, talking to people. Dreams can be happening at the same time. This means images are coming up spontaneously from uh, who knows where. So in terms of um, unsearchability, how is um, how does blame play into unsearchability? Uh, blame? Yes. Blame is actually covering up the, the whole complete labyrinth of uh, dependent origination. Uh, when you point the finger either at yourself uh, in terms of blaming or shaming or uh, feeling uh, however to, uh, you're actually covering up uh, it's called uh, that's actually walls of the mind you're actually covering up the vastness of consciousness of your mind so blaming uh, the other direction is you don't really want to look at it. You don't really want to see someone doing something terrible and realize that they are at the mercy of causes and, con and conditions. You want to you want to actually, because they uh, had some apparent autonomy or some say-so or what, authority? And how did they get the authority? They were given the authority by the people around them that were their homies, whatever you want to call it. Everybody wants to belong to something. get too close to this lineage, you find that it's not going to support your self-centeredness. We just talked about that, didn't we? Yes. So, as you know, we watched the Cohen hearings today, and there was a lot of blaming, it seems, a lot of throwing out of what appeared to be facts or allegations. And we have it in our own uh, situation, the Shambhala. Yes. So when one participates in something for a length of time that may uh, later be questionable, or if we're remorse may occur, how do we not blame or, or feel shame? Uh, you may not be able to avoid that. The important thing is there's the blame can come up, the shame can come up and everything, but there's no one doing it. It's the identity of someone who is at fault or someone who is uh, blaming someone else, or someone who is being blamed, or someone who is being shamed, 
that there's some kind of identity that will reinforce or substantiate or or fuel that uh, quality. So the, the praise and the blame are, as long as there's living beings, there's probably going to be some of that going on. It's the fixation on that that seems to be, the attachment to it that seems to be make it more difficult. Your, your, the causes and conditions that created your your eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind, this whole situation, you can't just suddenly meditate your way out of relative truth. But you can begin to see uh, deeply and understand that the causes and conditions that are arising as any kind of success or any kind of failure or any kind of harm are, it's not just one thing causing that, that that's... Uh, Unsearchable. So where does any kind of personal responsibility come into play in that situation? So it, it needs to come up in a, in a relative way, the ability to respond. So you can't, you can't respond to something if you're covering up the very situation with blaming either this or that or anyone. In order to really respond to that, have the ability to respond in a genuine, sincere, direct, uh, and honest way about what is in front of you, you have to. You can't cover it up with hope and fear or whatever. So, in order to do that, you have to witness hope and fear, and passion, aggression, ignorance uh, operating in your mind, probably on the cushion and train your mind so that you can see clearly, so that when things do arise, you're able to see them as they are rather than, than what the mind projects onto them. And there's still no guarantee that you're going to be able to what, navigate that area clearly, but there's uh, much more possible if you're being, if you see your own self-deception, then when uh, other kinds of deception arise, you're going to be able to say clearly what that is. I mean, even though someone is obviously has done something wrong, uh, the, the perpetrator and the victim kind of thing, even though that's obvious, we should address that and take care of it, but, but, re, but be reasonable about it and not, not build ourselves up as the one who doesn't do anything bad and there's the person who's to blame, as we see in some of the things that are happening uh, in the... Sangha situations where people are so quick to blame others. Not that they didn't do things, but to go into the blaming area is to continue the rotation of passion, aggression, ignorance, hope and fear, hope and fear, hope and fear. Continue the suffering. Is there a way that we can tell if perhaps a perceived silence on a given issue uh, is causing harm to others? I, I think there is out of uh, the ability to respond uh, and, and out of uh, awareness. So but th there's no guarantee. There's no, there's no guarantee that anything is going to, you're going to be able to somehow get some kind of control over everything so nobody ever makes any more, more mistakes and there's no more issues or problems with certain things. Just like the, the Vajradatu Shambhala community is you know, 
gone into a tailspin because of a whole lot of shutting down that happened, even when I was uh, involved uh, at the beginning of the whole thing. Very difficult. You bring your own causes and conditions, your own confusion, confusion into a situation, and you, you, it feels like you're getting some help, so you tend to kind of give the benefit of the doubt to that situation instead of uh, questioning it. So, like I sometimes say, you should question me. I'm not a guru. I'm a meditation teacher, and I'm not anybody's boss. When does giving the benefit of the doubt become being naive? Probably right away. It'll start somewhere. I thought my my guru, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, was because he helped me so much. I I, I, mean, I gave him way more than the benefit of the doubt. It didn't last. Well, it just seems like in a similar way we're at the start of something unique here. I'm just wondering, since you're able to kind of see the other side of it, what can we do to? I can help you right now and just listen to what I'm saying. And every time you get the slightest bit confused about anything, remember what I'm about to say to you. Don't believe your thoughts. Don't believe them. Any thought, any thought you have may have some relative truth. This is wood. That's a thought. This is hard. This will make a sound. So there's some relativity happening there. But you, by, by going into the relativity and into the proof part of the situation, we ignore all the vastness. We uh, we ignore all the tributary streams flowing in the darkness. We we shut everything else. Don't believe your thoughts. You'll still know when fire is hot. You won't confuse fire with water. You don't have to think about it. You know. Go ahead. Can we shut down through the other senses in the same way? What do you mean? Just like to not believe our thoughts. Can we apply that to the other senses that don't believe our no. Touch. No, you should believe touch. Touch doesn't think. Seeing doesn't think. But the the, the more distant the the sense gets, like the sense of seeing is the most. Di- that's the one that makes us think other things are over there. But uh, the sense of touch. If you close your eyes, you can't touch that without touching it. You can't smell something without smelling it. Where did everybody go? <laughs> oh. You follow me? It's a good question, but you need to go a little deeper with it. How is that belief in, a, in the other five senses different? It's not, that's not belief. That's hard. I'm not believing that's wood. It's wood. But if you look close, you'll see it's actually imitation wood. going and traipsing along behind you. So don't believe your thought thoughts. You can you know the difference between seeing something, a light or smelling something or tasting something, hearing something and and thinking something. You can see that thoughts are just like you can't smell something that you see, although the two can get together. 
and they do, they cooperate, and that's what the sixth sense, uh, six, uh, sense uh, the five sense uh, consciousnesses and the sixth of thinking process, that's what that's doing, is bringing that all together so it's like one so-called entity that is smelling the same thing they're seeing. But, but that, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a solid being. There's a solid body, mind, but there's no identity there. Yes, go ahead. What's a thought that seems to come out without being triggered by the five senses? What is that thought? No, it's uh, the, the Yogacara description of that is the uh, the model of the eight consciousnesses is uh, probably a combination of the six, seventh, and eighth, or the six of the the processing thinking the thinking the processing part of thinking, which is very simple and generic and without and kind of beige color, <laughs> and then uh, the eighth consciousness, which is the Alaya Vijnana which is the storehouse, which is the accumulation of things that are stored, the vasanas or habit energy that are stored there, that could be uh, latent in there for a long time, and then are triggered by things come down. I say down, it's just a way of talking about it, come through the that part of the consciousness that is called the seventh consciousness or the klesha mind or the disturbed part of the mind or the that part of the mind that that actually believes there is someone that needs protecting or advancing. More. Are there thoughts that aren't thoughts about something else? Just like a raw thought? Yeah, but you don't have those. Well, if you did, you wouldn't have to ask me about it. You notice that Junchu is not asking me about that. What's your Dharma name? It's me, her. <laughs> me, her. Okay. Shining path. Shining path. Yeah. And what is your Dharma name? Yeah. Yeah. Problem solved. Are we all? Completely cooked. <laughs> one more question, if there is one. It's good questions. Shoto, it's a good question. So I'm just having a good time with you. I get bored up here in my short skirt. Yes. <laughs> Michael. Does the awareness of thought help us see that we don't have to believe it or believe the thoughts? I think after a while, yeah, we, we see thoughts come and then thoughts go. And then, then we begin to see that there's a space, that there's a space around the thoughts that is not particularly uh, drumming things up or assuming or just, a, just an open dimension, it's just spacious. And yet, Consciousness is just fine there without any kind of uh, propeller spinning. I like it. I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. It should be. It shouldn't be. You've heard me say those. Maybe. So yeah, you can just you're just hear. More. Is 
ever, anybody ever been short sheeted? Anybody in the bed in the military knows what that is. That's when somebody goes to your bed and they take your sheet and they fold it. So that instead of going all the way down, they fold it back. So when you go to get in, your feet hit about three feet in. It's called short sheeting. They do that to people in the Marine Corps. For fun. For fun. Entertainment. The world kind of falls apart for like three full seconds. Yeah, for just a few minutes you think, this is not right. It's like that one commercial where this says, that ain't right. Has anybody seen that commercial yet? Well, I'm not going to promote that. So, Anyway, thank you so much. I stand and dedicate the merit in the back of our Red Chant books. I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes that are in the hallway. <coughs> we always appreciate and count on your financial support. I'd also like to remind everybody this Sunday uh, afternoon at 1 o'clock, we'll be having the Kai ceremony for... Brittany Wildhong and Cody Nelson, so you're welcome to join us. May America penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering, and show them his light. 